0: Whoa, good morning. (laughs) The scripture this morning is uh, Galatians 2, verses 1 through 10. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who is with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we might have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be pres- preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do.
1: All right. Are we doing good? A little sparse. I know. Daylight savings. It's fine. I wanted to sleep in too. I didn't even realize it was daylight savings, and then I kind of wake up. I'm like, I don't feel the same. But, um, so, hey, turn number two up. Nice and bright. I don't want to see any of these people. Oh, here you go. That's nice. Um, okay, so... This is our passage today. Um, there's some interesting things about it. First off, you'll notice it doesn't flow very well. It, uh, it's kind of hard to understand exactly what he's saying and what's going on. Um, and there's a reason for that. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to open this up, and we're going to talk about it. It's a very big passage of Scripture. Um, and we're not going to take it necessarily all today. We're going we're to do the, sort of the overall theme and then some bits and pieces we're going to move to later times when we talk about other subjects. So I'll help this make sense to you, hopefully. So let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for giving us a place to gather, and thank you for these people that you've gathered here. It's an honor and it's a privilege to gather as your people. Speak to us this morning. Give us peace. Give us calm. Uh, give us understanding, and give us faith and hope and trust. Um, to follow you closer every day. We, we believe that your path is the right path. And we believe that as we follow you, as we put one step in front of the other, that we find hope and that we find healing and that this healing spreads throughout the world. And so let us be your people and take part in this. Thank you. In your name? Amen. So, um, like I said, this is a very disjointed, um, passage. Um, from everything I've read um, about this passage, what we can gather is that Paul is kind of distressed. He's writing with several things on his mind. And there's several people that he's sort of writing about and events that he's writing about. And he's trying to write in a way so as not to ruffle feathers or offend people, or it's it's really interesting. It's sort of a balancing act. And we're going to talk about that. Um, but first, um, we're going to, so here's how it's going to go today. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell myself, and you can listen. We're going to talk about sort of the, the intermediate years of Paul, what exactly happened before he met the apostles, and then we're going to talk about sort of um, relationally what was happening. How did he handle all these people with all these different cultures, all these different relationships, all these different groups of people that were so easily offended, and somehow he worked with all of them. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and then human relationships and then what to do in the midst of strife Um when we are called, sometimes we feel like we're being pulled to take sides or we'll feel like we're being pulled to maybe speak truth into somebody's life. How does this work? So I'm going to start with talking about the intermediate years sort of of Paul here. Um, so there's several things that this passage, that this passage tells us. Um, and I'm going to work through these and you're sort of hopefully going to get a picture, maybe something you didn't know before. Um, oftentimes I, you, you kind of assume, um, Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus and then, um, went and found the Christians and and worked with them. That is the farthest thing from what actually happened. We, we've already talked several times about Paul. The first thing he did after he met Jesus is he went to Arabia, um, and then he went to Damascus. He went to Arabia, we're assuming because that's where Sinai is, and he needed to spend some time uh, following in the footsteps of the prophets and sort of spending time in solitude and silence with God, figuring things out because his whole... Infrastructure for his faith had just been utterly destroyed in one day, um, and then he goes to Damascus, and he is there, um, and he preaches in and around um, Damascus, and then he makes his first uh, trip to Jerusalem uh, to visit. It says Cephas. We know that Cephas is Peter, um, and uh, so three years after after going back to Damascus, he goes and visits Peter in Jerusalem, and uh, and then. The only other apostle he sees there is, uh, is the, brother, uh, the brother of Jesus, James. And then um, after that, he spends the next 14 years preaching in and around Syria and Cilicia. 14 years. So there's 14, 15, 16, 17, I can add, right? 17 years um, from the time that he met Christ. 17 at least. There's probably other times that passed that he didn't tell us um, before he went and met with all the people who knew Jesus. 14 years, 17 years, maybe more. Whatever. Don't worry about me. And so that's a long time. And so you you that raises a lot of questions for me. Questions which I'm hopefully gonna try to answer. But after this, um, so after this, the 14 years he spends here uh, preaching in and around Syria and Cilicia, he takes a second trip to Jerusalem, um, to meet with who he calls the three pillars: Peter, James, and John, um, folk singers of yore, and. He he uh he goes and finds them, and um, he calls them the pillars. And, and it's really interesting what he says. Let's look at it. Um, he says, And when James and Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, uh, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles, and they should be circumcised. So we have... Um, he talks about them in, in this way that they're pillars. What does that mean? Well... Um, the, the early Christians sort of saw themselves as, as sort of the new temple. Sort of the response to, um, the Judaism that they, they came from. They said, no, we have a new temple. We are the temple. And the whole temple is sort of built upon these pillars, the, um, the apostles. And when you build an ancient temple, the first thing you would put up is the pillars. And so this makes perfect sense. They were the first three. Um, and once the pillars are in place, you could build everything around it and it would hold the structure together. And, uh, and so there's this air of reverence, there's this air of respect, there's this sense of they hold this level of authority in the early church. Um, and so he meets with them and he says, and it, they were like pillars in the early church. Um, and this this is, this particular line is really important, uh, to, to understanding the stress that Paul is under, because there's this, there is this level of respect. They sort of hold an office, um, and the people looked at them as, well, they're the higher ups. They're higher than us. Um, and so one of the questions that you have when you read this is is why did he go meet with them in the first place? I mean, Peter met Jesus. He's doing his own thing. He has this gospel. Um, so I thought about this for a while. And I think the best way to describe it is if if we were, were planning a church, which we we did, and we're here, and, and and we're church, and we're ministering to people, and we're trying to help people understand the message of Jesus. And then there is somebody who has been out to kill Christians. Um, and this person, uh, that we would consider a terrorist. I mean, Paul would have be, been considered an early a, a terrorist originally. He would went around gathering Christians and killing them, terrorizing them and, and their families. And so it, it's sort of like this terrorist who is killing Christians. Um, you find out they moved into your neighborhood, and now they're preaching the gospel. This this is difficult to grasp. And there's absolutely this sense of, oh, I don't really trust that guy. I mean, we barely trust Justin Bieber when he says he's a Christian now, right? And <laughs> and we barely trust Kanye Yet West when he says he's making a gospel album. I mean, come on. Um We're skeptical people. Um and so there's this sense of come on. And and 14 years goes by and this guy's been preaching the gospel, wasn't he just killing us? And now, and so it's weird to think about the fact that they, they weren't working together. But they weren't. And so at some point, Paul says, um, I don't know who called the meeting, but they decide, yeah, we should probably meet because we should compare notes. What exactly are you teaching? Here's what we're teaching. What are you teaching? Uh, and they meet, and it turns out the things that they're teaching are the same. He even says in his passage, they, when I met with them, they didn't add anything to my message. And they didn't take anything away from my message. We were teaching the same message. I came to my conclusions through spending time um, meditating on the word of God. I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. His spirit was here. He's leading me and guiding me in my studies. And they met Jesus in in real life, walking with him and learning him in this way. And there's different ways that we hear from God. Um, and so... Where there was this mistrust, now they're suddenly, oh, we're the same. And so, there's several things that come out of this meeting. First off, um, he says that they decided that they were, they were partners in the gospel. The passage says, and we found that we agreed to be partners in the gospel. He, he actually says, uh, they extended the, what he calls the right hand of fellowship. It's an ancient way of saying we're on equal footing. Um, I had a, teacher, I think in elementary school who used to threaten me and said, I'm gonna give you the right hand of fellowship. I don't know what that meant. Um but so but but in in context of the early church, uh this was meant to be sort of this um we're working together, we're on the same level. And another thing that happened was they they came to this agreement that we're gonna have two different ministries. Um and they solidified, yes, we're teaching the same thing. Um Paul um you're going to go to the group who they call the uncircumcised. We're going to get to that stuff later, not today. Um, who they call the uncircumcised, the, the Gentiles, the Greeks, the Rome. He's going to write letters to Rome, and he's going to go visit and plant churches in Rome and, and Roman colonies such as Philippi, Ephesus, the places of emperor worship. So Paul's going to do the work with people that aren't Jewish, and the three pillars are going to do the work with the people that are Jewish. And so they're going to preach the gospel to these people. And this is, of course, going to raise all kinds of problems, and we'll get there too. Um... So they, they sort of agree, you're gonna go work with these people, we're gonna work with these people. So are we all caught up? This is where we are. Um so this meeting happens, they come to some agreements, and then Paul writes this letter, and this letter is is really disjointed, and, and the reason um as you look at the context and what he's going through comes it comes kind of clear. Um so there's this um I've I know some of you in here I, I've met like have hiked the Appalachian Trail, um, which is kudos to you. Um, I'm sort of a, a homebody in my books. I'm built for comfort, not for speed or rugged outdoors. Um, and so, uh, there's this section of the Appalachian Trail that, that is called, um, Katah Din, um, and it's, it's sort of, they call it the razor's edge. And on one side, um, there's a really long drop to your death. And on the other side, there's an equally long drop to your death. And it's it's terrifying, and there's lots of pictures of this. I don't know if any of you have been there. I haven't been there. Don't really plan on it. Um, but I enjoy Google and the pictures that it brings us. Um, but when I picture Paul and the work he's doing, this is kind of what I picture. I think this is a great metaphor for what he's doing. Um, he's walking sort of this very fine line between lots and lots of people that it could go very bad at any moment. It, um, even N.T. Wright writes about this. He says, if he takes one step, to the right, it's disaster. One step to the left, it's disaster. This kind of explains the writing um, and the disjointedness of the paragraph because he's he's trying to be very careful. Now, um, so on one side, Paul is independent, and we talked about this. He is independent, and he wants his people in the city of Galatia to be independent people, um, to have a church and to have community, but also to to teach themselves and to grow and have sort of this daily spiritual discipline, this life filled with discipline where they spend time in the word and they spend time with their Lord and they spend time in community and fellowship and um, and worshiping him in this way. And so he wants them to remain independent. He also wants them to know, like, all, all of the information, Paul says, that, that I have, this is where I got it. The whole point of him writing this letter is to say, I didn't get my information from the apostles. But now he's saying in the letter, but I did go visit the apostles. And so there's this sense of he wants them to know he's independent. He didn't learn it from them, but he did go meet with them. So he doesn't want them to think that, like, oh, I learned everything from these apostles. And on the other end, um, he doesn't want to be so independent of the apostles that they don't have fellowship. Um, and there's another problem, because when he goes and he, and he, and he writes about them being the three pillars... He is describing this level of respect that they have. But then Paul writes in the passage, um, in verse 6, he says, um, and f- and from those who seemed influential, uh, and then he, pr- he, he says, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Um, so he says, there were people there who were very influential, but that doesn't really matter to me because I don't think God shows partiality to people. So Paul um, is not... A person who necessarily believes in these sort of hierarchies, he doesn't. Um, you can clearly see that um, he's not. He believes all are equal in the church. He doesn't want to add sort of these different levels like they had, because he grew up in the Jewish faith and and there was this level which people always wanted to attain, and it was this earthly thing and it was respect from other people. And he says, no, in the church we're equal. But the problem is, as he's saying this, he also realizes that. The audience that the three pillars are working with come from a different context, and they hold these guys in a high respect. And he doesn't want to diminish that. So he has this certain way, and he knows these people that don't have the same way, but he still doesn't want to diminish their thoughts. And I think this is huge. Because he wants to partner with them, but he doesn't want to ruin what he's doing. He wants them, he wants to respect them and the position, the authority that they hold, but he doesn't want his people to think that that's how it has to work. And so he's very much trying to be very, very careful with his words. And you can see it. Um, NT Wright writes about it and he says, uh, unity is the summit of the mountain, the goal at the other end of the dangerous ridge. And because Paul is determined to get there in one piece, he keeps to the path. And so he's walking this very narrow edge of, like, I want to work with you. I'm not a respecter of persons or of high positions in the church. I don't want to offend you, though. So I care. I want to partner with you, but I but I don't want to be controlled by you. And so I also want my people to respect people, but I don't want them to be respecters of people, if that makes sense. Um, and so he's walking this very fine line. Um and of course, in this passage, there's lots of other things. In the midst of this huge disjointed paragraph, couple of paragraphs here, there's, there's things about visions that he saw. There's things about um, Timothy having these arguments about being Greek and maybe converting to Judaism um, physically with uh, the laws and circumcision and all that. And then there's uh, apparently some spies that were sneaking in and doing some snooping. And so um, we're going to get to all this later, but I want to talk about the relational part of this today because what Paul's doing is really impressive, I think and it's something we we rarely see but we should see more of um walking this this sort of line and 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 not taking sides perhaps perhaps you have been in a position where you are forced to navigate sort of the strife of others maybe you've you're in in a, in a workplace or an environment or a ministry environment where there's sort of this old guard and there's this new guard and and there's sort of this sense of I have to take a side and i mean i i can't tell you how many Blogs I see every week and podcasts I hear every week that are raging against the church in America. Um, and I get it, but at the same time, I don't think the answer is rebellion. I don't see that. I don't think the answer is to tear them down. I don't think tearing people down fixes anything. And I, it appears that's what Paul believes too. It appears that this is this is the road that he's walking on, uh, and maybe it's not that. Maybe it's some other kind of strife you've been navigating. Maybe there's you're being forced to take a different side in a family or a relationship that's fallen apart, or a um, sort of some kind of relational strife. And there's two different sides, and they're demanding that you not only see it their way, um, but take their position, speak their words, do their deeds, and join them in what they are doing. And it's difficult for you because you kind of see the other side and you say, well, there's two sides to every story. And this is where Paul is. He's navigating this very sort of narrow ridge. Um, I think the first thing you need to understand is what we talked about last week, solitude. You are not a slave to anyone. You're a follower of Jesus. You are free. You are free to love. All people in all situations, um, you are free to be not controlled by other people. There's always a third way. There's always a middle path that refuses to sacrifice another person. Jesus has already been sacrificed. You don't need to sacrifice another person. Paul didn't need to come in and say, um, "You know what? I don't. I don't buy into your system of. <laughs> I'm not a part of your system of." of of your hierarchies and, and your respected positions. I want a, a flat church. Instead, he, he comes in and he says, the people really respect them and they look up to them and I, I want the people to be healthy. I want them to be healthy. And so I'm going to, I'm going to partner with them and we're going to work together. We don't see eye to eye on everything. Um, this, I, I see, I'm, I'm starting to see this a little more lately as, as, uh, as you pass oftentimes from your young twenties, you're, I guess you're expected to be sort of, rebellious right and 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 you know down with the man and all this stuff but as i got an older i've I've started to understand that like it's much more beneficial i think to listen and try to serve and try to understand and partner with and and affirm look we don't see eye to eye but i can partner with you and what you're doing and and together we are we are stronger especially to joining our differences together um Slavery. Okay, so sin always causes slavery. We've all been in a position of of being forced to take sides, join with some friends over some other friends. Something is going on, there's a fight, there's an argument, and we're all being called to sort of jump in and say, yeah, I'm with them. Well, I'm with them. Well... Sin always does this. It's called slavery. It's bondage. And from the beginning of the scriptures to the end of the scriptures, you see sin leading people into bondage. Jesus came to free you from this. Free you from it. Um, Slavery is always caused by sin. Sometimes it's, it's not your sin. Sometimes it's someone else's sin, and they're going to do everything that they can to enslave you in it. But your identity is freedom and it's holiness. Always look for the third way. This is Paul. This is what we always see Paul Doing and so there's two different responses that you can have. Um, there is rebellion, and oftentimes you can make a case and say, "Well, that makes sense." Rebelling against this, that, whatever. Um, and and then there's the other option, which is respect. Rebellion is the side that says that that's sort of willing to pick a side and cut cut others off, and they're willing to go to war and call call everyone to attention on every front to their differences and say, this is how different we are from these people. And, um, and then there's respect, the, the side that says, um, I do believe I'm right, um, but I want to know how I communicate this while still building friendship and respect and worth and value of you. Um, and you understand that, that there is other views and, and we should listen and, um, and help be healthy in our relational strife. But, um so there's this there's this guy, a uh, 19th century psychologist, his name was his his name is William Stekel. Um and he did a lot of work on uh, maturity and uh what happens to the brain and in and, and growth and, and and he has a, a profound um quote that I wanted to put up here. It says, The mark of the immature person is that they want to die nobly for a cause, while the mark of the mature person is that they want to live humbly for one. I've always kind of thought in the back of my mind, it seems like it'd be easier to die for your faith than it is to live for it. Because living for it, you've got to wake up every single day and just do it all over. Die to yourself over and over and over. Um... When you look at the life of Paul, the way that he writes, the way that he interacts with people, he is surrounded by strife, but somehow he can bring peace to the situation and grace into it. There's one passage in Romans 12:18 where he says this, If possible, in and so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. And I love this passage because he, he's admitting it's not always going to be peaceable. But whatever part you play in keeping the peace, whatever offense you brought to the table, put that out there. Um, apologize, beg for forgiveness. Whatever actions that you can take, whatever you have brought to the situation, whatever response you have, whatever is your sort of kingdom in your personal space, the things that you bring to it should be gracious. The things that you bring to it should be peaceable. There will always be people trying to take you there, trying to get you to fight, trying to get you into the battle. And Paul says, whatever you bring to it, whatever you are in control of, whatever part you have to play, do everything you possibly can to live peaceably with others. This is what the gospel does. The gospel, even if nothing else, it brings peace into our lives. At the very least, it should, it should change the way that we interact with strife in our world. It should change the way with that that we act when we walk into a situation where there are two sides. Whatever part we have to play, we have a responsibility to bring the peace of God into the situation. Um, so when I was... One of the things that, that was always modeled to me in, in my family by my parents, and then it was sort of passed down to my brothers. And I remember my grandfather modeling this for, for my, for my, for my dad as well. And so it's sort of this thing that, that I, I think, um, the men going back in my family for several generations have tried to make sure that they, that they passed down is this sense of, um, respect for things that you don't understand. And so my mom, I, and, and the best way to describe this is to tell a couple stories about it. My mom, when we were growing up, my dad was, uh, we were never really members of a church. My dad was sort of a missionary. He would travel around and, and, and raise support for these various things. Um, and so we, every Sunday, we, we lived in Los Angeles and we would drive all around, uh, sort of, um, all the surrounding states, deep into the deserts and into the mountains and, um, all the way up to Seattle a few times and down to Mexico. And, 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 uh, we, would visit so many different churches and the more churches you visit, the more you realize how big this Christianity thing is and how different Christians are. Um and my mom would keep this little hats do I think those two things. I remember sort of a thing that I I guess I described it as a doily. It was a hat though. And then and then there was like a little fancy hat, like Sunday morning hats. People used to wear women used to wear hats in church. And it comes from this um this sort of very little interpretation of of head coverings in this passage in scriptures that, that says that a woman should ever have her head covered, and and we've talked about that before. And and I don't interpret the passage the same way, and my parents didn't either. But my parents, we would pull up to a church for my dad to speak, and she would look, she would look around, and she would say, "Hmm, I think this looks like a hat church." <laughs> pull out her little hat, put it on her head. I know my parents didn't see things that way. But there was this sense in which she respected the people, she respected their traditions. And is is that your hill to die on? I refuse to have my head. Co- I will not wear a hat. That's the hill you're going to die on? No. Instead, instead, they would submit to the situation and the people that were there and love them and serve them in whatever way that they could. And then my dad would 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 teach and he would talk about what God's doing in the world and invite them to get involved. And I've always respected that. Um, even, okay, so like two weeks ago, my my brother taught here and, and then the next day he calls me up and he says, Hey, do you have a, do you have a KJV Bible? And I said, I do, but why do you need one of those? He goes, well, I'm teaching at a church tonight. I'm going to be preaching at a church tonight. Um, and so I dug a, a 1611. If you're not familiar, if you had not spent a lot of time in church, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a translation. It's the first English translation from, uh, well, that's arguable. From, from 1611. Um, we're not going to get into that. Um, and it's, it's really hard to read. And it's, uh, so I, I let him borrow this 1611 KJV Bible. And I, in my brain, I'm younger than him. And I, I think, why would you go there? It, it was this ultra sort of really super fundamentalist church where they read this one particular version of scriptures and they believe it is the only inspired version of God and you should not read any other version of the word of God. And I cringe at that, and I say, that should not exist. This thought, this should not exist, and we should do everything we can to fight against this. But he calls me, and he says, yeah, I'm speaking at this church tonight. And so what he did was he put on a nice shirt, and it's high, and he covered up his tattoos, and he combed his hair, and he borrowed my KJV Bible, and he taught at this church, and he talked about what God was doing. And it reminded me of what my grandparents modeled to me and what my parents modeled to me about respecting people where they are, entering into a relationship with them, because if there's any change to be had, it's there. That's where it is. And so oftentimes, um, we're born into a world where we are given a certain kind of lens, and and these lenses, um, when I was growing up, uh, these I sort of had this lens that you would kind of get from watching old, I guess I would describe it as old cowboy movies, um, where... You can tell the good guys and the bad guys apart by the color of their hat, right? The good guys are wearing white hats and the bad guys are wearing black hats. Now, um, this brings all kinds of cultural problems into our, our view of the world today and, and people don't do that anymore, which is good. But, um, it, it, it sort of forces you to, to think in binary of like, I'm wearing the good guy hat and they're wearing the bad guy hat. And I'm 100% right and they're 100% wrong. And they have no good points to make. And I don't have, my points are all just really, really good. Um, and we think in this sense of, of sort of this binary kind of way, and I sort of, um, somewhere along the line, I think I picked that up in my teen years and into my 20s, and and I went to a, a school that taught a certain way of looking at the world, and there was no nuance. There was no attempt to understand. And it's almost like the gospel didn't really reconcile people. It only separated them. Um, and so I remember at one point, I'm in uh, I'm in the state of Virginia, and I'm in a Subway sandwich shop, and I'm standing behind this very large gentleman with an incredibly low voice, and he's talking to very loudly. He's wearing a, a suit. And I came to realize, well, like, I'm standing in line behind Jerry Falwell, Sr., who died in, like, 2002. Um, and I'm standing in line behind Jerry Falwell. And... Just trying to get my sandwich. And he's talking to people. And, and this was three months after 9-11. And I had seen, like, the night before, late night television mocking him for his comments about 9-11 being caused by the ACLU and all of this. And I wasn't a fan. And, and in my brain, black hat, white hat, right? I'm 19 year old. I've got the world figured out. Um, and I'm standing here just judging. This guy. And so as I watch, it was a very long line of people. I watch, he's, he's talking to everyone and, and he's, he's asking them questions and he gets to the front of the line and he knows the names of all the people behind the counter. He knows their names and, and he's, he knows what's going on intimately in their lives. There was one girl whose, whose mom the week before had died of, of an overdose, a drug overdose. She was, she was like 18. And he's talking to her and he's consoling her and he's trying to give her hope. And he calls her over, and she walks around the counter, and he sits down and prays with her. And I'm watching this, and it's challenging the way I look at him. And I saw love in his eyes. And at one point, I'm pretty sure he was crying with her. And the way that he was moving through that restaurant, I have never moved anywhere. And so I saw the gospel at work. We all have times where we are not our best. We all have times where we give in to sin. We all have times where we enslave ourselves to others and we bring bondage into this world and pain into this world and, and where we do the opposite of gospel work. And we don't teach the blood and sacrifice of Jesus that covers our sins. Um, and oftentimes we let those times when we see them in other people, we let it define them. But we don't want our own sins to define us. And so I'm watching Jerry Falwell just bring love into this space. And it, it really worked in my heart. And it kind of woke me up that like, life is not binary. People are sinners. But the thing is, we have another lens that, that we are given to look through. We're given the lens of the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus writes about this in John 14. Um just talked about it. He said, he said, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And he scooped down a little farther. It says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. And so he says, I'm going to give you sort of this new consciousness, this new lens at which to look through the world. I'm going to give you, my spirit is going to be there. And it's going to, if you allow it, if you invite the spirit to do its work, he's going to give you new eyes with which to see. And and as you remember the gospel, you're going to remember the names that you have been given. You have been called the holy ones, the priests of God. You have been called sanctified and set apart. You have been called um, good and loved. You have been called so many things. And as you bear these names upon yourself, it gives you hope. And you remember, we are not pushed by our past. We are pulled by our future. We are being called into this new way of looking at ourselves and in the world around us. And you look at the people around you, um, and those who don't know Jesus, you, you look at them as lost and, 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 and God is seeking them and loving them and drawing them in. And those who you know who are followers of Jesus, well, they're saints. You don't hold their sins against them. You look at them as saints and you look at them as the holy ones, and your brothers and sisters. And so these names that we are given to look at each other and call each other by, these lenses that we are given to look at the world through, these are the things that should influence us. When you look at Paul and him navigating relationships um, in his life, you see this whole new way. And hopefully we're going to catch some of that as we keep studying through the book of Galatians. Um I don't know what you're struggling with today. I imagine every one of us has some sort of relational thing that we are struggling with and someone and some situation, and we're, and we're bearing this burden. And, and Jesus wants you to remember he has given you, first off, all these names, new ways of identifying yourself, all these ways of, of identifying other people. And he sent his spirit to remind you, and you need to have this constant open invitation, spirit of God speak to me, convict me, change my view of people. And it brings reconciliation into any circumstance. And what does this is the body and the blood of Christ, broken, spilled out for us. So we're going to take communion. Our communion service, you guys can go ahead and gather the elements and kind of spread around the room. Um, at some point, you have to kind of stop and ask yourself, what takes more discipline? What is harder? What is more mature? What is the more holy way to live? Rebellion or respect? And when I say respect, I mean even respect for God and the way that he looks at other people. And if we can get the mind with which God looks at other people, I think it can change so many aspects of our life and bring so much peace and stability into our world, into your own life, which will emanate out into your family and your community and your church, your city and your world. So as we go to communion today, I, I want to ponder the the broken body of Christ and the spilled blood of Christ who took all of our sins upon himself, the ways uh, that, that we have absolutely spit in his face and offended him, and he responded with love and grace, looking at you and me as, but these are my children. These are the holy ones. These are the righteous ones. These are the ones that I'm giving my righteousness to. I'm going to take their sin and put it all on myself, and I'm going to give them this whole new way. And so we're going to take some time and and we're going to think about that and ponder that and celebrate that. So if you need to spend some time in repentance, do so. If you need prayer, right through these doors on the left, there's a a room there uh, where somebody will be there to pray for you. So uh, let's pray. Father, thank you. We love you. We ask uh, that you you would bring this peace into our world. Give us a new lens with which to look at people. Help us to remember that none of us not our identity, not our relationships, not uh, any part of us, um, according to your gospel, is, is pushed and driven by our past and our failures. We are pulled into this new future which you have declared. And help us to absolutely buy into that and run towards it. We love you. Thank you. In your name, amen. Take some time and uh, talk to Jesus.